right. It was not a shaving accident, in case that's on anyone's mind. You can come talk to me afterwards if it's really that distracting, but it's kind of on the live stream. It's fine. Uh, this morning, the question I want to wrestle through together is, what is God's will for your life? So just a small little, small little topic. Um, but I think this is a question we often ask if we are uh, a student in youth group. You think of that, what's, my, what's God's will for my life after high school? What's God's will for my life in the summer? Or maybe you're making a big life decision. You ask that question, what's God's will for my life? Um, but I want to I explore and, and kind of argue that this is a question that we should be asking more um, regularly. This is a question we should be asking almost uh, every day, every moment, every morning, every hour. What is God's will for my life? So we're continuing in our New Beginning series, and uh, this is the focus is primarily on spiritual maturity, understanding our identity in Christ, and then putting it into practice. And so this morning, we're going to be in the letter of Titus. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Titus 3. And, and Paul, who wrote this letter, he's writing to a young minister named Titus. And uh, he is writing because uh, Titus is a missionary in a place called Crete. And uh, what he's trying to do and what Paul is encouraging Titus to do, he's saying we need to realign the churches to the life and the teachings of Jesus uh, the Cretans, they were struggling with this understanding that, that a good understanding of Jesus' teaching should also lead to a godly life. They were taking, uh, you know, good doctrine, and they wasn't translating to, to living a godly life. And so Paul is encouraging Titus to teach sound doctrine around the, the grace and, and the saving knowledge of Jesus, uh, and also how it affects the life of people who accept this teaching and want to follow it. Uh, instead, the Cretans, they were, they were assimilating Jesus into their patterns of life that were already existent. So they were, they, were, they were putting him into their philosophies or putting them into their practices. They're trying to seek out pleasures and, and desires and neglecting God's teaching and, and his will. But Paul is confirming in, in Titus the, the necessity of Christ's lordship in the believer's life and how, how God's grace actually transforms the believer's life through their obedience. So we're going to be in Titus 3, uh, verses 3 to 8. It says this. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. As we seek to grow uh, deeper and wider in our faith in Jesus and our understanding of God, the underlying truth that it is only through Jesus' life and death and resurrection is the way that we can experience eternal life. That is, that is the underlying truth of everything that we talk about. It's not based on our achievement it's not even based on our spiritual maturity or, or how mature we feel we are. Grace is the unearned favor of God. And our passage makes it clear. It's by God's kindness and his love that wholeness and restoration come. 
not by any works that we do. Paul, after three chapters, he, he encourages uh, and rebukes a lot of the Christians it, through, through Titus. Uh, this is what a, a man should do. This is what a woman should do. This is what pastors should be and look like. This is what elders should look like. This is what slaves should do. But he summarizes all of his teaching on, on what we do with the reminder that those things, they don't earn God's favor. They are the natural response to God's kindness and love, which is our salvation. But what are we saved from is often a question that we can, we can wrestle with. Verse 3, we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Foolishness, disobedience, slaves to lusts and pleasure. This word slaves uh, is the word doulos, uh, and it's the word that Paul uses when he calls us to be slaves to Christ. What it means is, is a bond servant or, or a willing servant, a servant by choice to a master. And so the struggle often comes, well, why would I want to serve uh, something or someone who, who challenges me to change when I could serve something that makes me feel good in the moment? Like, why serve the thing that, that uh, is not about me when I could serve the thing that, that brings me joy? And this is the tendency uh, we have uh, we consider our emotions to be the right understanding of what's happening. Consider our emotions to be the right gauge for what is best in our lives. Because we feel something is true, then it must be true. It's kind of the, the mottos that we get where it's you do you or, uh, you know, live your truth. I feel like it's right, so it is. And this can be being a slave to our passions, lusts, and our emotions. And this is a slavery because it's never satisfied this way of thinking. And I'll, I'll go on record through you and the live stream that I, myself, am a terrible God. I would be a terrible God to you. I would be a terrible... I am a terrible God to myself, right? That's primarily because my, my emotions are horrible indicators of truth and good decision-making in my own life. Um, when Sydney and I were dating... Um, there's something special happens to me when I'm stressed or I'm hungry or, or it's past 11 where I just become this like shell of a man. And so when we were dating in college and exam season came up, she kind of, she distanced herself from me. <laughs> she wouldn't hang out with me because when I was studying, I was stressed and I was hungry and it was past 11. She knew that there was just like, there's no good things that were going to come out of that. So she left me to my own devices and, and, and I would repent and apologize afterwards, but <laughs> I just became this apathetic, hungry monster. Um, my emotions are poor indicators of, uh, of what is true because they change depending on circumstance. Emotions vary between people, which means that, that truth can then be relative. But for the believer, the truth of Christ is not relative. The absolute truth is that Jesus saves. It is Jesus that gives purpose to my passions. It's Jesus that gives purpose to my emotions. It's Jesus that gives purpose to my struggles, to my pain. It is Jesus that gives me belonging as he adopts me into his family. It is Jesus that gives me identity by claiming me as his own, chosen and set apart for good works. So we're saved from this purposeless striving that comes from, from a random and a harsh world. Instead, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have purpose behind everything that offers hope and restoration. But being, it's, it's more than being saved from something. Through Jesus, we are saved into a relationship with our Savior. And a relationship with Jesus is the fullness of God's joy and his pleasure. 
which doesn't mean there's not going to be times of struggle where we don't understand what's happening, where the only thing we can do is collapse under the weight of, of hurt. But the fullness of God's joy is not stuff. The fullness of God's joy is not circumstance. And the fullness of God's joy is not wealth. And it's not success. The fullness of God's joy is a deep relationship of kindness and of love between him and his creation. And if he gave us anything else than that fullness, then he would be holding back on us. If, if God replaced relationship with him, with money, if he replaced relationship with him with success or with comfort, then we would not be getting the best because the best is God himself. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have access to God himself. And it's in, in, this, in pain or in these times of trial where we see where, where our hope is actually anchored. Do, do I trust Jesus above all or do I trust Jesus only when things are, are good in my life? Is my hope in my feelings or is it in Christ? Um, in, in 2020, I had a moment, uh, a moment of a few days, where I was, I was ready to leave uh, church ministry because I, I'd hit this point or I didn't hit this point, I, I kind of, a, a situation happened, there's a lot of misunderstanding, and then suddenly a lot of people turned against me. And suddenly I was getting kind of dragged through it, my reputation was getting dragged through it, and there's a nice, there's a pocket of people who supported and loved me who, and who carried me through this, but, but there was a lot of people who used this moment to, to kind of make a, uh, would be to make, to make, to use me as a lesson, or to make a, uh, what's the word I have here, to make a statement, statement out of me. Example, yeah. And uh, I was sitting in that. I was sitting in, in pain and betrayal. And the realization came that, that I cannot be doing what I'm doing for the sake of being accepted by other people. I can't be doing what I'm doing, uh, what I was doing back then or what I'm doing here for like the warm fuzzies that come from being a pastor. Uh, I can't be doing what I'm doing because I want other people to, to like or, or, or even appreciate I'm doing this because in following Jesus, it led me here. And as I am here, I will continue to use every opportunity I have to point people to Jesus. It's not about my reputation. It's not about money. It's not about my living situation. It's not about joy. It's not about comfort. It's about Christ. It's about abiding, about dwelling, about living in Jesus and him in me. And so in that, Jesus wants you. He wants all your doubts, all your hurts, all your questions, all your joy, all your fear. He, he, he wants you. And I invite you to confess to yourself and to God where you've tried to go at it alone, where you've let yourself be controlled or enslaved by your own feelings or emotion, and turn away from that, admitting that God's ways are greater for your flourishing. Because then... Rather than being distracted by, by our hope of success or hope for finance, hope for, for all these things, we'll be introduced to the best, which is relationship with God the Father through his Son and through his Spirit. The will of God in your life is to know Jesus, to trust Jesus, and to follow Jesus. And so what does that look like? Well, it's by grace that we're saved. It's also by grace that we're made right. He, verse 5 says, he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. 
So more than forgiven, we are washed clean of sin and given a new life through the Holy Spirit. And if you've been tracking with our messages for the last, I don't know, year or so, this theme of, of being and becoming has been very prominent. And in this, it, it's because we, we, are, we are, we are given new life. When we put our trust in Jesus, we are given new life and we are made right. But we are also living into that reality every day. The cleansing and new life, this has to do with a spiritual cleansing of allowing the word of God and the spirit of God to establish godly character in us and maturity. That's what Paul is saying through Titus to the people of Crete. He's saying, don't, don't assimilate Christ into your way of operating or your culture. He's saying, live in your culture with the sole devotion to Christ as king. But he didn't say start a culture war, right? And, and he didn't say remove yourself from all the heathens so that you can keep yourself holy. He's saying to the churches in Crete, he's saying live peaceably among your culture and devote yourself to God so that your life will be a testimony to everyone around you that, that God is good and that God is worthy of being followed. And that's, that's you know, that's a message for them, that's a message for us. And something that I've appreciated about pastoring at Living Water Church is that I see this at play. The, the church is more than a building here. I'm witnessing people who, who are the active body and hands and feet of Christ, who are going out into the community, who are praying for the community, who, who want to see people know Christ. So it's not just about like, come to my church. It is being the church out in the community. I see students doing that, adults doing that, through prayer, through youth leading, through all these different aspects. God is on the move. And what's beautiful is that there's more. Like we haven't seen the end of what God is doing in living water. We haven't seen the end of what God is doing here because when Jesus was, was uh, he was just finishing his ministry on earth. He was rounding up his disciples. He was sharing a final encouragement. And in John 14, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. All who love Jesus and follow his commands are then on mission with the Holy Spirit at work in them. And what it doesn't mean is, is that we can pray and get whatever we want, right? Jesus says, ask anything and I'll do it. But there's a few stipulations in there. It says, first, so that the son will bring glory to the father. Second, uh, anything asked in my name. Asking Jesus for something contrary to who he is will not bring glory to the father. And it absolutely is not a prayer that's prayed in his name. And, and when we read the scripture and the first thing that we think is sweet, like I can get anything that I want, we need to take a step back. Reflect on what it's saying about our heart posture towards God. Jesus is not an agent for your glory. Jesus is not an agent for, for my kingdom. Jesus isn't even an agent for, for my happiness. Jesus is king. Jesus is savior. Jesus is God. And when we take that seriously, when we give Jesus the honor he is due, then we create room for the Holy Spirit to prompt us to action in his power and in his name to bring glory to the Father. I was raised, uh, when I was younger in, in youth group, it was an interesting moment in Christianity for me. Uh, every conference we went to, there was this emphasis, and it was kind of this, like, you 
can be a pl- or you're you're going to be a planet shaker, and you are going to change the world, and you are going to be a catalyst for for global revival. And all of us who were in these conferences we were like, yeah, nice. <laughs> so we'd go home and we'd try and share our faith, and it didn't really work out. Or or we'd go home and then we'd have to choose between sports or between church, and and that was a difficult decision. We'd go home and struggled with insecurity and struggled with belonging and struggled with church, and then suddenly uh, we all became twenty somethings. And it wasn't about, we didn't change the world, but now we're kind of just left with these questions like, how do I serve God in my daily life? How do I serve God in, in, in my nine to five when, when things are pushing me to act contrary to who God is? How do I serve God when, when my friends who are in youth group have walked away from Jesus and have said that the church has done more bad than good? How do I serve God in, in my daily life? What is the will of God in my life? And knowing God's will, it's not just about knowing when to sell all you have to go on missions though it can be. Knowing God's will isn't about hearing a distinct voice telling you who to pray for and, and when and what to say, though it can be. The will of God in your life is to know Jesus, to trust Jesus, and to follow Jesus empowered by his spirit. That's every decision, every conversation, every parenting moment, every fight with your spouse or with your friends, every moment of temptation. Know, trust, and follow. And how do we get there? It's through the cleansing of spending time in the word of God filled with the Spirit of God, moved in, in, in prayer. Which gets to the final point. We're saved by grace. It's through grace we're made right, and it's by grace that we are transformed. To be a believer of Jesus is to be in this continual process of transformation. Right? It's written in the name of Christianity, followers of Jesus. And to follow naturally means you're going somewhere. And so if we can look back over our life for the past five years and we haven't moved has our, or, or, has our anger been turning into peace? Has our greed been turning into contentment? Has our impatience been turning into endurance? Is our doubt turning into faith? Is our hate turning into love? Paul writes in verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. And, and myself, I, I like to go to extremes. Not for the sake of anything other than sometimes I like to just stay in my apathetic mindset of not doing or not changing. And so I read this and I think, okay, well, Cody, like, am I never supposed to be angry again? Or am I never supposed to be greedy? How can I? I can't be perfect. And those going to extremes is, you know, you can look up at the mountain of who Jesus is. You're like, I'm never going to get there in one step, so, so why bother? And it's true. We don't get there in one step. It's the process of following Jesus is a journey. It's a journey of transformation. It's a process of transformation. But each step we get closer and closer as we follow Jesus. So we shouldn't believe the extremes. I'm never going to get there, so why bother? But those extremes that we go to actually help guide us into uh, maybe littler habits or, or little moments of self-reflection on, on where our hearts are turned away. Right? If your immediate response is, well, I should never get angry, well, that's not what I'm saying, but should you be constantly operating from a place of uncontrollable anger? That's, no. <laughs> okay, well, am I never, like how, I'm never supposed to be drawn by lust? That's not what I'm saying, not yet. But you should be, should you be in a constant search for women or men on the street to satisfy the desires of, of sexual gratification outside marriage or outside of your call to singleness? Absolutely not. These are things that we, we bring to the Lord and allow his spirit to guide us in steps of recovery. Whatever extreme you think of, there's, there's a left, lesser habit that we can offer to Jesus to say, Jesus, I, I need to turn this to you. I need to put this at the foot of the cross. I need to be transformed through your death and your resurrection. 
God's will is so that you would know him and put effort into getting to know about him, reading his word, meeting with his people, praying daily for Jesus to reveal himself to you. So a few final encouragements, but I'll invite the band to come up. When we're thinking about spiritual maturity, and I'm not, is this the last, are we going into 1 Corinthians next week? No, we're still in this? Okay. As you think about spiritual maturity, um, my encouragement to myself <laughs> and my encouragement to you is not to start with the works that you can do. The starting point with spiritual maturity is the gospel of Jesus. If you're new to church or a new believer, God does not expect anything of you except for you to put your faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God's will is that you would know him, put effort into getting to know about him. If you are a believer who has been hardened to the idea of serving God because you've been burnt out physically or emotionally or spiritually, then it's, it's not starting with works that you can do. It's starting with the gospel. Jesus identifies himself as humble and lowly. All who are weary can bring that weariness to Christ and get rest. And he has no expectation on you except to believe that you are his child, deeply loved by him and saved by him before you've done anything. It's not your righteous works of being on a worship team or hosting or doing sound or preaching or going to small group that earns favor. It's believing in who he is. So trusting in that and taking that time that you need. But if you're a believer who's been sitting on their hands for a bit, maybe you've been recovering from church or, or you've been feeling healthy and you're in a good place of understanding the gospel, but maybe you just don't think that you know enough to, to go out or live on mission, start with the gospel. Know that you are first and foremost loved and saved, that you've been set apart for good works out of gratitude for what God has done. And God's will for you is for you to ask him to reveal himself daily and to give you the strength to move when he calls you to move. To, to be transformed where he calls you to be transformed, uh, to take his gospel out. When we focus first on the gospel, the rest uh, of ethics, they, they become ethics of gratitude and they fall into place. But, but it starts by knowing God in his love and kindness. He saved you. He has made you right. And so out of that, we devote ourselves to good works. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can take time to worship you to acknowledge who you are as the God who saves, as, as the one who took on the brokenness of the world so that we could live in freedom from, from slavery to sin to, to serving you. So God, as we look at these words where we, we acknowledge that through your loving kindness, we've been saved and out of that salvation, we have a call and a purpose to know you, to trust you and to follow you. Would you help us? Help us in those moments where we feel we are too weak. Help us in those moments where we feel we, we don't know enough. Help us in those moments where we feel very strong and, and driven to follow you. Because God, we want to turn our eyes to you and, and every move we make to make by the power of your spirit. So thank you for everyone in this building. God, I ask that, that your truth would go out and anything that's not of you would be forgotten. Just be with us this morning in your name. Amen.